Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's turn to Genesis 29 and uh, as we prepare, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We, Lord, count this word more than our necessary food. And so we look to you now to feed us until we want no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis 29, and I'm going to begin reading here at verse 9. And while he spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with them the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve thee seven years for Rachel for thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. All right, now, we started this chapter with these words, very important words in verse one, where it says, Jacob went on his journey. And we were with Jacob in his journey. We started really in chapter 28, and especially in Bethel, when in his sleep, God made Jacob to see these incredible things. He saw it when we were with him that, that first night, he was out there all alone. He's fleeing from his father. He's fleeing from his home, fleeing really from Esau, from his home. And Jacob has this dream. And in this dream, Jacob sees this ladder set up on earth that reached all the way to heaven. And on that ladder, Jacob saw angels of God. They were ascending. They were descending. And on the top of that ladder, Jacob saw God. Jacob saw God, and he heard these wonderful promises that God made to Jacob. That vision in which Jacob saw God was a tremendous event in Jacob's life. And Jacob, never going to see God again until he comes to Genesis 32, when Jacob's going to struggle with God all night long. And in that chapter, Jacob's going to see God face to face. And because Jacob sees God face to face, Jacob's life is going to be preserved. And because Jacob saw God face to face, he's going to name the place the face of God. 
or Peniel. But those are the only two times in Jacob's life when he has such a tremendous experience as to see God. And Peniel, Peniel here, they're like feasts for Jacob. Very special, very rare. You know, you don't have a feast every day. Otherwise, you'll get really fat. You know, <laughs> it's a good thing we don't have a family night every night. Otherwise, we have to buy new pews, you know, stronger pews. <laughs> but Jacob, he must learn, and he will learn. He's not to expect a Bethel and a Peniel experience every day. But his daily bread is going to be, should be, a walk by faith, a walk by faith. There are times in our lives when we have these types of experiences, I don't want to say we see God, but these type of experiences when we really sense the presence of God. They're special. They're rare. They're like a feast. But our daily bread is not made up of those. Our daily bread is not made up of those high-level experience points, but our daily bread is to walk by faith, reading God's promises, believing God's promises, trusting God's promises. Now, we've been with Jacob as Jacob came into this land of Haran here. And we saw Jacob in verse two when Jacob came into the land of Haran and we saw this great stone. Jacob saw this great stone that was covering the well's mouth and it took several men to lift it off. And then we, we, were, we were with Jacob in verse 10 when Jacob saw Rachel. You know, that was love at first sight, I guess. And he did something incredible, unbelievable. It says in verse 10, Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I mean, this when we see this in Jacob, we say, what? Is this the same Jacob we know? Is this the same Jacob that was described to us in Genesis chapter 25, verse 27? Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Is this the same Jacob that doesn't go outside, that stays in the kitchen all day long? You know, Jacob has really changed. It's not the same Jacob. He's really changed with the circumstances. I mean, Jacob has totally adapted, I mean, to this situation here. That's a lesson for us. Because when we look at Jacob, the way he was and the way he is now, he's moving stones by himself. I mean, you know, we, it shows us, it teaches us the value of being flexible, the value of adapting. You know, we cannot be stiff and inflexible in our lives and say, you know, oh no, I have to be in bed by 9 p.m. I can't do anything after 9 p.m. <laughs> oh, oh no, I have to only eat certain things, you know. Every Christian is on a mission to serve God. And that involves reaching the lost. And think of how missionaries have had to adapt. I mean, I still remember when Roy and Linda Milton, when they were in Indonesia reaching that lost tribe there, and they wrote things back that were just like, oh, it's so difficult to adapt, to accept some very difficult practices of those tribes. Like what, like, like when they wrote when they came into the Milton's house, and Milton's had this post in the middle of their living room there, and how the people from the tribe would come in there, and they would blow their nose and then wipe it on their post in their house and rub it off. They thought that was good. <laughs> and I remember Adina telling me about a missionary in Africa who was holding her little, her little baby as, as she was in the marketplace, holding a little baby, and the little baby had a runny nose, and, and, and she kept wipe, you know, wiping the nose with the Kleenex, you know, and, and this big African lady came up to her and said, that 
that's not how you clean out a baby's nose. And she took the baby out of missionary's arms, put her mouth over the nose and sucked it all out and then spit it on the ground. And she said, now that's the way you do it. And the missionary's in shock. You know, why do missionaries have to do that? Because like Jacob, they got to be adaptable, flexible. That's what we see here. It changed Jacob. But well, something else we see here in these words, Jacob went near and rolled the stone away. We see a picture of, of self-confidence, stunning self-confidence. I mean, he was absolutely sure when he went up to that stone that he could single-handedly move the stone away. I mean, just think of how easily Jacob could have made an absolute fool out of himself. I mean, what if he hurt his back or got a hernia in the process? But Jacob didn't have that view. He thought he was powerful enough, roll that stone back, disregard the possibility he might fail, and disregard the shepherd's advice to wait until all the sheep came, everybody come, and then they would all move the stone together. I mean, he was just full of self-confidence. He could have failed. He could have made a fool out of himself. You know, sometimes we move forward in this self-confidence, and uh, we can do it, and we fail. We make a fool out of ourselves. It reminds me of a Jewish friend of mine, Sasha, a Russian. He was telling me one time how he really liked this girl, and he went out with this girl in, in Russia to go sunbathing, and they came to this small lake in Russia, and, and Sasha really wanted to impress the girl, so he jumped in the lake, but the lake was so very cold, he went into like tetanus, he <laughs> into shock. He couldn't move and he started to drown. <laughs> and the girl jumped in the lake and rescued him. <laughs> he made a fool out of himself. So we saw in verse 10 how Jacob kissed Rachel and then wept because of all the emotion that had penned up inside of Jacob. And he felt that now at last he found the person who would love him, not like his mother, and throw him under the bus. The, he found uh, the person who would accept him for who he was, not like his father who preferred his brother. He really felt in his heart, at last, you know, he found a place where he wasn't going to have to flee in her heart, in the nest. I mean, all this. And, and so that's why he kisses and he cries. It lets out all this emotion. And this is not the only time in the Bible that a person kisses and cries. His son, actually, Joseph, did that. Now, Joseph kissed and cried. After so many years, he finally reveals himself to his brethren, Joseph. His brethren, who had sold him into slavery, for all intents and purposes, might as well have killed him, and sold him in slavery, which is a scene which is so much like the Lord Jesus Christ, who will reveal himself to his Jewish brethren, and what it says about Joseph in Genesis 45, 15, it says these words, moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. What a scene of tenderness there. Joseph kisses his brothers who he's been separated from for so long, and then he can't contain his emotions. So more than words, he expresses more than words with crying. And he finally is reconciled with his brethren. And this outburst of emotion, the kissing and crying, is a picture of what it will be like for the Jewish people who finally become reconciled to their God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the most tenderest of scenes described to us in Zechariah 13.9. Zechariah 13.9 describes this type of scene when they go through a terrible two-thirds dying 
of the Jewish people, one third left. It says, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name. What name? The Lord Jesus Christ, the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it's my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, very tender scene. It's not the only place we see Joseph kissing and crying. We see it again in the life of Joseph when Joseph is finally brought back together again with his father after decades of separation. And that happy reunion is described to us in Genesis 46, 29. Genesis 46, 29, where it says, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel. Jacob, Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. See, in that scene, it's noted how Joseph wept on Jacob's neck for a long time, a good while. So like Jacob, Joseph, the son of Jacob, he kisses and cries, and it seems to run in the family a little bit. (laughs) But sometimes this crying expresses, like you said, much more than words can ever tell. And that's what we see in the case of Jacob kissing Rachel here and crying. Now, in verse 13, we say how Laban runs out and he also is kissing. He's embracing and kissing Jacob and he brings him into his house. And at the end of verse 13, we read a very significant statement when it says, not to be missed this, in verse 13, and he told Laban all these things. Don't want to miss that statement. He told Laban all these things. When it says he told Laban all these things, it means Jacob unloaded his heart to Laban. Jacob told Laban everything. He just laid it all out. I mean, what a day and what a night that must have been in Laban's house when Jacob feels that finally, I know I found the girl of my dreams, I found the real home. Not a home with a father who loves my brother more than me, but a home where I, Jacob, am loved because I am Jacob. Not a home with a brother who wants to kill me, but a home of love and acceptance. And he feels that this is the home And he's got this beautiful cousin over here as well that he's just presented himself to. So he's become a kissing cousin, you know, literally. What a great home this is for Jacob as he looks at Rachel and he says to himself, I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to become an integral part of this family, of this home. This is my new home. Forget about that home back there in Beersheba. I just found what I've been looking for all my life. And we've already seen how Jacob came with this heart of my new home. Where'd we see it in this chapter? Where Jacob comes on the scene with this spirit of my new home. You need a hint? It's in the first part of the chapter, 29. Close. What does he say to the guys? My brethren, yeah, that's it. He called the, he called these men, my brethren. You know, he's coming there. He says, can you picture that scene? I mean, he's coming here and goes, my brothers, 
<laughs> and they go, who, us? <laughs> Do we know you? You know, he doesn't just say brethren. He says, my brethren. You know, he didn't, he didn't just walk up there and say, howdy, partner. <laughs> he says, howdy, my partner. You know? I mean, we can just see Jacob here. He's, he's just settling into this new place. And he's saying, now I found my brother's now I found my real home. I'm going to be cared for. I'm going to be accepted. I'm not going to be taken advantage of. So he thinks. <laughs> That's a very significant statement in verse 13 when it says about Jacob, and he told Laban all these things. See, he is continuing in this my brethren spirit. And he's looking at Laban and he's saying, you and I are family. And I'm going to tell you everything. I'll keep back no secrets from you. You're going to be my new father that I never had. And I found a father who now who's going to love me and who's going to be there for me. You know, this is like the rolling of the stone again. You know, Jacob is in this state of 100% self-confidence. And if you tap Jacob on the shoulder and you said, Jacob, you know, you know maybe you would say, get away from me. I know who I found. He doesn't know it. He's making a fool of himself. But he doesn't realize it. He doesn't know as he's telling Laban all these things, that Laban is plotting against him. He's doing what it says in verse 13. He's telling Laban everything. It's like Samson in Delilah's bedroom, where it says in Judges 16, 9, now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber, when she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and so forth. See? Samson thought he was in that bedroom making love, when in reality he was making a fool of himself. He didn't know in Delilah's bedroom there were men hiding in wait, waiting to destroy Samson. And Jacob thought he's building a great friendship with Laban, when in reality, Laban's lying in wait. Because in Laban's heart, Laban was lying in wait to sap every ounce of strength out of Jacob for his own gain and just leave Jacob ruined as we'll see later on. And knowing what we know, we want to jump in this picture at verse 13, and we want to say to Jacob, no, Jacob, don't give your heart to Laban. You can't trust Laban. Stop, Jacob. Watch out, Jacob. That's what we want to do. But at the end of verse 13, when it says about Jacob, and he told Laban all these things, Jacob just went on and on and on, and he told Laban how he deceived his father, and we can see Laban thinking, Oh, so you think it's okay to trick your father? Then you shouldn't be upset if I trick you. (laughs) And seeing Jacob there just pouring out his heart in confidence to Laban is a picture of many of us as we've seen of ourselves as we've come to the world in our past with such high hopes, with the thought that the world's my oyster and the world's going to deliver what I always wanted. Now I've got a chance for satisfaction and fulfillment. I'm going to find it here in the world. And the person going to the world thinks, who needs God when I've got such a promising world in front of me? And as Jacob expects from Laban great things, a person expects and looks at the world great things, but the world's going to deliver to that person the same thing that Laban delivered to Jacob. Not what he expected. And as Jacob opens himself up to Laban, so a person opens himself up to the world. 
And as Jacob expected these great things from Laban, a person expects great things from the world. And just as we want to jump in this picture right now and tell Jacob, don't open yourself up to Laban like that. Don't love Laban. Don't expect from Laban. So the Lord Jesus Christ warns us about the world in John 15, 19. In John 15, 19, the Lord said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It's not that the world is indifferent toward you. It's not that the world doesn't care about you. The world is actively hating you. So, And we want to jump in on verse 13 and tell Jacob not to embrace and kiss Laban. Don't kiss that man. He's going to be trouble for you. And John jumps into the verse 13 in our lives and tells us, don't embrace and kiss the world. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. What a picture this is for us of Jacob as an unsuspecting soul and Laban as the world scheming against the soul's destruction. Then in verse 13, we see how Laban assures Jacob. He assures him, he says, I love you, Jacob. I have good intentions for you, Jacob. When it says in verse 14, and Jacob said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. See, Laban's words In verse 13, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. They really bring a sense of great assurance to Jacob. See, I knew I was right. He calls me his bone, he calls me his flesh. And then it says in the last part of verse 13, he abode with him the space of a month. See, there's like a connection between these two statements in verse 13. Because Laban assured Jacob that he was his bone in his flesh, therefore Jacob abode with him. He relaxed. The word used for uh, dwell there is the word yashab. Yashab has the root meaning to sit down. So he sat down with him. The idea is Jacob sitting with Laban. Jacob is very comfortable. He's sitting there with, with Laban, and very much at ease. Yashab, he sits with Laban. What is that? Yashab, the same word that's used in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor what? Sitteth, yashab, in the seat of the scornful. Jacob is yashab, sitting with Laban. He's sitting in Laban. Very dangerous, Jacob, very dangerous, but he doesn't know it. And then it says he abode with him the space of a month, and so he stayed there, uh, and it could mean he stayed there for maybe it was a month, or really more the idea of some uncertain amount of time, but just day by days went on without any really regard for how we're going to eventually arrange these matters. It was just all of a, it was just kind of a, oh, what's the rush? We'll work out how we're going to have our arrangement later. And all this was purposeful as it built in Jacob the idea of how, boy, Laban really trusts me. I can trust him. Now, after some period of time, Laban tells Jacob in verse 15 that he's his brother. He says, I'm your brother. Oh, he says, that's really nice. 
He says, can you imagine such a thing? He says in verse 15, and Laban said unto Jacob, because thou art my brother. Oh, oh, it touches my heart. First I'm his bone, now I'm his flesh, now I'm his brother. You know, so, <laughs> and now we see in verse 15 how Laban's really moving in for the kill on Jacob. He has no idea. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.